Good morning, everybody. So as we look on the screen behind me, I have, from time to time, I like to, to preach lessons that help us to, to look internally, myself included. Because when I preach, it's not just for you guys, it's also for myself. Because I think it's so very important in life. Uh, do we not often set goals? And then when you set goals, what's it important about a goal that you do from time to time? You, huh? You evaluate. Where am I at? How am I doing? What kind of progress am I making? And so when it comes to our faith, we need to do the same thing. And so this lesson here this morning is that really type of lesson. And the idea and the question here this morning is, is treasure, is heaven your treasure? You see, we're going to look at this lesson in a way that it's going to uh, get us to hopefully evaluate where we're at in our faith. Because in order to become stronger in faith, we need to mature in our faith. And it, there's a process that takes place over a long period of time. It's not something that's done quickly. You've often heard it said that the Christian faith is not a sprint, but it's a marathon, right? And that's really a true statement in its basic form. But when we look at, is tr do you consider heaven to be a treasure? Do you remember when they asked Jesus, what is the first and great commandment? What did he say? Go ahead. Love the Lord your God. All your heart, your soul, and your mind. So today, as you evaluate your faith, as you think about where you're at, can you say with, us, with all honesty and a sincere heart that based on your faith today and where you're at, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? And I'm sure some of us can say that. But I wonder if all of us can say that. And if we can't say that, what do we need to do as we evaluate our faith to get to that next step? To take the next step in our faith journey. Does that make sense? Because we need to be in constant evaluation of where we're at. That's how you grow. That's how you become better. And when I think about this question here this morning, I have a question for you. Have you ever thought of yourself, have you ever thought in life as to what is the purpose of life? Have you ever thought sometimes what is the meaning of life? Maybe you know what the meaning of life is, but you're not really sure what your purpose is. Have you ever thought that? I remember before I got into ministry, I, I used to, I worked for Sherwin-Williams and uh, right out of high school in, in Pittsburgh Paints, and I was in the paint industry, and I did it for 17 years. And I was good at sales, but I never enjoyed sales. Honestly, I couldn't stand it. I mean, it's just, if you've ever been in sales for a long period of time, and it's just, you know, that phone never stops, you get home, and sometimes you just want to chuck that phone out the window, out the front door, because you're just so tired of talking with people. But I remember, I used to think to myself, is, there, is this all there is? Is this all there is to life, that I, I wake up, I, I, I get the kids ready for school, and, and me and the wife, we, we go off to work for eight, ten hours a day, we come home, we make dinner, we, do, we help with the homework, we do some chores around the house, we watch a little mindless TV, we go to bed and we do it all over again. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? And you just keep doing it over and over. And I remember asking myself, is this all there is to life? And I used to long to do something that had meaning. Have you noticed, though, that we live in a society, though, that, that where addictions of various types run rampant? Have you noticed that we live in a society that's crime-laden? Have you noticed that we are living increasingly more and more in a godless society? 
where we're removing God from any and all aspects of society. And if you dare stand, if you have the audacity to stand with God and against society, well, they call you every name under the sun. Many people work for companies where the companies no longer respect their employees. Remember, maybe not so much in our era, but I know in years gone by, companies used to value their employees and used to have a respect for their employees. You don't necessarily see that anymore. So the employees no longer have that same connection or dedication to said company. It's all, it's all about what have you done for me lately. How many relationships do we think we have with people, but it's all about what have you done for me lately? Because we live, some, in, in a lot of times, in a selfish community. We live in a selfish society that most of the time cares more about their own self-gratification than they do about the gratification or the self-care of others. And so I ask this morning, is heaven your treasure? Do you think of heaven as a treasure? Why do you think I bring that up? Well, because there's a passage of scripture that's going to talk about it that we're going to evaluate this morning in Matthew 13. But before we do, I want you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Uh, when I get to Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 through 10. It's too long to put on the screen. So I want you to, as I, as I think about my own life before I got into ministry, and I used to really ask myself those questions, like, is there, isn't there anything more to life? What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? And it made me think of Ecclesiastes. You guys remember King Solomon in chapter 1? I want you to see what the richest most powerful man on earth, the wisest man on earth. Notice what he had to say in these opening ten verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this. King Solomon says that everything is meaningless. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Some of your Bibles say vanity when you look at those verses which is the Old Testament times was defined as a nothingness, as emptiness. I know vanity today is defined differently than it was in Old Testament times, but he means that meaningless means a nothingness, an emptiness. He goes on to say in verse 3, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generation come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor has the ear enough hearing. What has been, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. When you read Ecclesiastes and you think about that question I asked you this morning, have you ever asked yourself, what is the purpose of life? What is, what is the meaning of life? You can see in these first 10 verses that King Solomon was struggling with some things. He had the best of everything, and yet he could not find happiness. Happiness eluded him. And so the theme of Ecclesiastes, it shows uh, that King Solomon was in a search for what the greatest good was. He sought satisfaction, if you read out the rest of the book, he sought satisfaction in natural science. 
He sought satisfaction in wisdom and philosophy. He sought satisfaction in materialism, in wealth, in recreational things, in women, in everything else. Why do I say women? He had a thousand wives. And so he literally was seeking for the, the common good. He was, thinking for, he was seeking out happiness. His question is, what is the good in life? What profit has a man from all his labor and toil under the sun? King Solomon finds that genuine happiness, brethren, isn't found in human wisdom. It's not found in wealth. It's not found in power. It's not found in pleasure. Where does he say it's found? He says all earthly efforts, all worldly pursuits, are tempor and temporary pleasures are all meaningless. They're all worthless without God in your life. That is the absolute key to this section is that as you study out the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, everything is meaningless without God in your life. You have, you have to understand that King Solomon, he had all the power. He had all the money he could ever even imagine. He had prestige, he had wives, he had servants, he had palaces. He had the best of everything that the world could offer, and yet happiness eluded him. Have you guys ever really paid attention to any of the celebrity news? Don't you guys stand in Kroger's or Myers or Target and they got the, the garbage magazines right there? You got, you're there for 15 minutes, you might as well look at something, right? And so you look at these little National Enquirers and all these different magazines that talk about the celebrities, and what do you see? You hear about overdoses, you hear about marriage, divorce and remarriage over and over and over, that so many of them have been married so many times, they don't even remember their kids' names. They're involved in drugs. They're involved in domestic dispute. They're involved in crimes of all sorts. The question is why? According to society, they got the best of everything. They got mansions. They got the fancy cars. They got millions of dollars. They got the entourages. They got the private security. They have everything that the world says that you need to be happy. And yet, like King Solomon, happiness eludes many of them. Many of them commit suicide. Many of them uh, get involved in addictions because they're looking for happiness. Many of them start to experiment sexually because they're trying to find happiness. And this happiness continues to elude them. Brethren, you have to wonder why. Are they lacking something? Well, the answer is yes. Let's fast forward to Ecclesiastes. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open there. I want you to fast forward to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. When you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I do have this one on the screen behind me, but it might be a little bit small for, for some of you to see. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I want you to see, as we go from chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, meaningless, everything is meaningless. What is the point of life, he's basically asking. And then you get to the conclusion of the matter, and Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Notice what it says. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and he searched out and he set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, he says, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no, there is no end and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter, according to the richest, the wisest, the most powerful man on earth. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. So you think about the question that I ask you this morning when I go backwards and I look at this slide as I get there. Is heaven your treasure? Because I want you to keep thinking about is heaven your treasure? We have just looked at the lives of celebrities. We have looked at the lives of King Solomon. And yet, as I already mentioned, happiness continues to elude many of them, even though they have everything that society says should make you happy. Brethren, there is only one way to achieve true and lasting happiness. And this comes to us by way of Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. If you look on the screen behind me and you consider Matthew 13 and 44, it's the parable of the hidden treasure. It's a very simple, basic verse. But have you ever really stopped to, to really consider the message of that one verse? It tells us, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and, and hid again. So he finds this treasure, he finds this thing of great value, and he just buries it and he hides it again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Well, you have to ask yourself, you just found this great treasure of great value. Well, why in the world did you put it back in the ground and, and then go buy the treasure? How many times have you were walking along and you just were on somebody else's property and you find something of great value, you think, finders keepers. Right? And so many people think, well, it must be mine. I found it. And yet, in the Old Testament times, especially in the Jewish culture, if you stumbled upon something of great value on the land of somebody else, you had to then go, in order to take it or in order to keep it, you had to then go purchase the land in order to acquire the treasure that you found. And so the treasure in the field teaches us of the supreme regard that we should have for the kingdom of heaven. And so think about that simple verse for a moment. Whatever incidents, whatever opportunity brings you to the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, it would be wise to exercise every human effort to obtain it. Even if it means selling all your possessions to come into possession of it. And so we need to make sure that as we consider heaven, that we hold it in such high regard that we'd be willing to do anything to come into possession of it. Brethren, the great consideration is that the kingdom of heaven is indeed a treasure. But I wonder if our faith really shows that we believe that the kingdom of heaven to be a treasure. Why do you think I ask you that? Do we live in a time when, when there are, and I guess it's really true of every generation, really, but we live in a time and we can only evaluate our own time and our own lives and our own what we can see and what passes the smell test, right? of the, the, the spiritual maturity of Christians and in, in, in of our own families and in our, of ourselves and in our congregations, right? And as we think of this, I want you to really ask yourself, let's consider the word treasure for a minute. I want you to consider the word treasure. I want you to consider the idea of the kingdom because we're going to get into a, a little bit of a test to evaluate if all we give to God is the one hour on Sunday. But some will say, sometimes will say, but hey, I'm here on Wednesday night and Sunday morning for Bible study too. I want us to see if that's all we give to God, if it really passes the test of love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. But before we do that, I want us to think about a treasure. Who here has ever watched that show Gold, Gold Rush? You guys ever seen the show Gold Rush, right? 
I mean, in the beginning of the show, I know it's been on for many seasons now and it's kind of changed from what it was in the beginning, but in the beginning of the show Gold Rush, these people who had some mining experience, but not really mining of gold, but just different types of mining, they would sell all that they had. Many times they were cashing out their retirements and they were taking most of their earthly possessions and selling them and going up to Alaska and then they were investing in equipment and supplies and they start to mine for gold. Well, as they're starting this out in the show and they're doing this, many of them are, are just finding little scraps. I mean, not enough to even cover their, their, the, 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 the supplies that they had to purchase. And yet they're, they're spending their whole in life's, life's inheritance trying to find happiness. But where did they put their happiness? They put their happiness in riches. And yet what did King Solomon have to say about riches? What do these celebrities have to say? What are their lives, how are their lives indicative of how you can't find happiness in material things? You can't find happiness in earthly treasures. Solomon says that the only way to find true and lasting happiness is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And yet these individuals, these men have taken all that they have. They invested in something that can't bring this true happiness. And so they have chosen to search out temporary happiness over eternal happiness. Remember, brethren, we spoke of the celebrities, we spoke of King Solomon, we spoke of their search for happiness, and we spoke of how they looked for wisdom, they looked for power, they looked for wealth, they looked for material things. But the question is, what's the treasure in your life that you're giving everything towards? You see, these men in Gold Rush, they've sold all their stuff, they bought their supplies, they went uh, to Alaska, and they're, they're trying to find, they're trying to strike it rich. What is it in your life that you consider your treasure? Have you ever heard that you could tell where a man's treasure is by where he puts his time, his energy, and his resources? Can you say that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, the first and great commandment, right? Can you say that you put all of your time, all of your energy, and all of your resources into making Jesus the Lord of your life? That's something we need to think about. Let's evaluate that statement for a minute. There's 365 days in a year, amen? 24 hours in a day, 365 times 24 is 8,760. Well, that's great, Dave, you can do math. What is it? What's the point? Well, the point is very simple. Let's just say each of us get eight hours of sleep, right? Each night. And I know some of us wish we got eight hours of sleep each night. But let's just say you get eight hours of sleep each night. That's going to leave 5,840 hours that you get to choose to do with that time, right? And let's say that all we give to God is one hour each week on Sunday morning for worship. How much of your time then do you give to God if that's all you gave to God is that you make sure I'm at worship every single Sunday, but you don't do a whole lot the rest of the week for God? Then what you gave to God is 0.89% of your available waking hours. Why do you think that's important? Because we say that we know God tells us that the first and great commandment is to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. But I show up to worship every week. That's great. You gave God less than 1% of your available waking hours. I might be stepping on some toes this morning, but I told you this is a type of lesson that I want us to evaluate our faith, myself included. And so let's say, but Dave, I'm there on Wednesdays. And I'm there on Sunday morning for Bible study too. Well, that's great. Now you're up to a whopping 2.6% of your available waking hours that you invest into the Lord. So you went from 0.89 to 2.6. 
Please understand, brethren, as I give you this message this morning, I'm not trying to disparage anybody. Because there's too many of us who look at Sunday and Wednesday as like the Lord should be happy with me. I show up every Wednesday and Sunday. When the doors are open, I'm there. Well, that's great, but that only, that's only 2%. What do you do with the other 98%? 97.4 to be more specific, right? And so these are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Can we really say that we think heaven is a treasure worth giving all for if all I really give to God is 2%? Brethren, I guess the real question is, are you willing to make God the vocal point of your life? And what does it really mean to make God the vocal point of your life? Are you willing to give all to God? Are you willing to sacrifice if need be for God? Are you willing to take the, make the necessary life changes for God? When we talk about giving all to serve God, this shouldn't be a negative thing. Because remember, in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 33, what did Jesus say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he goes on to say, all other things that you have need of will be added unto you. For the Lord knows the, the things that you need. But we are to seek first his kingdom. Brethren, we should count it all joy to, to serve the creator of the universe. Amen? We should count it all joy to serve the creator of the universe. Heaven is a place where the Bible tells us there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more tears, no more death, no more evil. Think back to the apostles. The apostles had the great honor to walk side by side with Jesus Christ. These men literally gave their lives in order to teach and preach the Lord, in order to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Flip over in your Bibles if you want, but I also have it on the screen behind me. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said to the people of Philippi in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4 and 8. Because this is such an important section of Scripture when we consider the idea, do I consider a, a heaven, a treasure, worth giving everything towards? And when you get to Philippians chapter 3, notice what it says on the screen behind me in verse 4 through 8. Although I myself might have confidence even of the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the people of Philippi. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence, confidence in the flesh, he says, I, find, I far more than they. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, I'm found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, Notice what it says, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but garbage. I count them as but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ. What is the Apostle Paul telling us here and telling the people of Philippi? He said that he counts the wealth, the power, the prestige, and the material things that he had acquired and that he had attained through his time as a Pharisee, through his time as a, as a member of Judaism, he counts it all but trash compared to what he has got in return from Jesus Christ. He counted all the power, the fame, and the majesty as nothing but garbage compared to what he received from Jesus Christ to be part of the resurrection of the dead. So, brothers and sisters, when you study the scriptures, you, you find time after time after time people making their life mission to serve God and to give God their best. So which treasure do you seek after? What is the treasure in your life 
that you give most of your time, energy, and resources to? Is it to some earthly pursuit, or is it to a heavenly pursuit? Only you get to answer that question for yourself. I myself have to also struggle with this question. Are there things that get, 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 get in the way of my ministry? Are there things that get in the way of the things that I need to do to glorify and honor God? And if I'm honest with you from time to time, the answer is yes. And then I have to make a mental note of that and ask myself, why did I allow that? We need to constantly be evaluating our goals. We need to constantly be evaluating our faith and ask ourselves, how can I become better? What can I do to become more spiritual, to become stronger and more faithful in the Lord? To give God all, to give God my best. Because if I give God my best and I put my time, resources, and energy into the, my faith and into the kingdom, well then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show God that I love him with all my heart, mind, and soul. But if all you do is show up on Sunday morning for worship and maybe a, a Wednesday Bible study or a Sunday morning Bible study, that's only 2% of the time. What'd you do with the other 98%? And that's the question that we're going to look at as we move further. You see, brethren, it's so very important because we have to know that we have to know what the meaning of our lives is and that it's time that we become committed followers of Jesus Christ and teach as many people as possible the good news message. But it's not just about teaching. It's not just about preaching. It's not just about living for self-gratification. Notice what it says in Matthew 25. You're going to have to turn your Bible open to Matthew 25. Because we're going to look at verses 31 through 40. Because in this section of scripture, we need to understand that it's not just about worship. It's not just about attending worship service and, and, and attending Bible study. There's so much more that goes into the percentage that you give back to God in your daily life. Notice what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. It says this, Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the, kingdom of, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he goes on to say, you could do this because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then Jesus, the king, will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, it's as if you did it to me. Brothers and sisters, Matthew chapter 25, right there, verse 31 through 40, is absolutely crucial to understanding that your faith isn't just about worship and Bible study. There are so many more things that, go, that make up serving the Lord. Sure, we attend worship service because it's commanded of us. Sure, we attend Bible study because it's commanded of us uh, according to our submission to the elders. 
But I wanted to go over that particular section of Scripture in Matthew 25, because when we evaluate our time and how much we give to God, it's not just about spending time in study. It's about feeding the poor. It's about visiting the. Uh, uh, it's about clothing the naked. It's about uh, visiting those who are in prison, visiting those who are sick, and doing everything else that was just listed there in Matthew chapter 25. So we could very plainly see that feeding the poor, clothing the naked, inviting the brethren into our homes, taking care of those who, who are sick. It's as if you were doing it to Christ himself. If you were to continue on in Matthew 25 and look at verse 41 and 2, and he goes on to tell those on his left that they say, uh, you know, when did we see you in this situation? And, he, and brethren, he basically goes on to say that those who don't do these things for the brethren, it's as if you rejected Christ himself. So that 2%, if you show up every time the door is open, will continue to rise as your faith grows and matures, as you clothe the naked, as you, as you feed the poor, and as you do many other things that were listed there on that list. And so, brethren, we have to ask ourselves, outside of showing up for worship and Bible study, am I doing what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25? Am I doing those other things so I could actually show the Lord my God that I do love him with all my heart, my mind, and my soul. Brethren, some might hear this message this morning and say, but Dave, I got, also, I got to work too. In your, little, uh, in your little skit there, you forgot to talk about the eight, nine, ten hours I go to work. Well, yeah, you're right. Oh, and I got to raise my family. I got a wife and kids that I got to take care of. Oh, guess what? You're right again. But guess what the scriptures tell us? If you look at what the scriptures tell us, Colossians 3 and 23 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. And you look at Colossians 3 and 23 and Paul says, You're right, you do got to work to support your family. But do so in a manner that will glorify God. Can you do your job with the mindset and the heart condition that you glorify God and the people that you interact with on a daily basis? Do you have opportunities to plant seeds uh, within the hearts of their minds, seeds of scripture? Do you have opportunities to sh shine the light of Christ by doing good works and good deeds? You see, yes, you take time away from the Lord in order to support your family, but you could do it in such a manner that still glorifies the Father. Well, what about our families, Dave? I've got I to raise my kids. I've got to do all kinds of things. Well, Ephesians 6 and 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So again, you see, brethren, that you are to raise your kids to do so in such a manner that as when they are growing, that they can raise their children and raise them up into the Lord. You see, so yes, you still have to raise your family. Yes, you still have to work. But you do all of it in a manner that glorifies God continuously. And as you do that, then hopefully you're going to have offspring that will then eventually grow into their own faith and raise their children up into the Lord. So brothers and sisters, when we look at this information here, yes, we work. Yes, we raise our families, but do so in a manner that will glorify God. Live in such a manner that shows that your life and your faith truly believes that heaven is a treasure worth giving everything over to attain. So I ask you this morning, myself included, can I really say that how I live my life, how I raise my family, how I conduct myself in the workplace, Am I attending 
Bible studies and worship services every time the doors are open. If, if I'm doing all these things, can I say that I love the Lord, the God, with all my heart, mind, and soul? And the answer is yes. But if you're not doing those things, if you scarcely attend worship, if you're not doing those other things throughout the week, I would ask you to think on these things. I would ask you to think and ask yourself, do I really love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul if I literally only give him a few percent of my available time? What do you think his answer would be? It's something for each and every one of us to consider. Brethren, if you're hearing this message today, it's a message that myself included is to get us to think about how I can improve my walk with Christ, how I can become a better disciple of Jesus Christ, how I could do things that glorify the Father. If you're here today and you struggle in your faith, guess what? Lincoln Park, you guys hear me say it all the time, we're a family. We'll help you. We'll sit down with you. We'll, t- we'll counsel with you. We'll study with you. We'll do anything and everything to help you to have a deeper, stronger faith. I say it all the time. If you're, if you're in need of study, please get with me. I would love to sit down with as many of you as I can to study out the Word of God, to help you have that deeper, stronger faith. You know why? Because I need to pay it forward for all of the men and even women who helped me in my faith and in my journey with Christ. Brethren, if you're here today and you're not a child of God and you wish to become like Sarah and Janelle and Al and Pam, to who, who just recently put on Christ in baptism for the remission of their sins, you could do that this morning. There's no reason to wait any longer. The Lord desires a relationship with you. But in order to have that relationship with God, you have to remove the stain of sin from your soul. Brethren, if that is you here this morning, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.